0: Hello everyone and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host Rick Cole and each week we take you on a a drive down memory lane back 50 years to report on all the uh, sporting and hockey news from that time period. This marks our 45th episode so far and the unofficial start to basically season two of the podcast, because we're moving into the month of September 1970. This week, it's August 30th to September 5th. Our podcast each week is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive, and their support's been crucial to, uh, us being able to complete our research into the news of the 1970s. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall produce many outstanding craft beers, and some of them are from recipes from the original breweries in Port Coburn, in the late 1800s. They also have an outstanding pub food menu. It's some of the best pub food on the planet. When things return to normal and people are able to move around and travel as they normally would, I'd love to meet any of our listeners at the Breakwall for a burger and a beer. We've also started another new project with the podcast. Uh, It's a Patreon account located at www.patreon.com slash hockey50years. Uh, What the account is, is uh, we're allowing people to make a, a donation of $5 a month to the podcast and in return you're going to get some special content that we'll put out several times a month. We have a, n- a number of projects that we want to work on uh to delve in more deeply and I think you'll like what we'll be able to give you for the low low price of five dollars a month. So you can go to patreon.com search for hockey 50 years or slash hockey 50 years right on the patreon.com website and uh you can donate. But don't forget, these Friday podcasts that we put out each week are always going to be free. So don't worry, you'll always have access to what we're doing right here. Now last week, we had a few interesting stories for you as uh, the summer drew down to a close and training camps moved a little bit, uh, became actually a little more real to fans and players alike. There were a lot of player signings in the NHL but a lot of top stars still remained without contracts uh, with training camps just a few weeks away. There were two former NHL stars who were banned for life from the NHL in the 1940s and their suspensions were lifted by NHL president Clarence Campbell. A One of those players was Don Gallinger, who's originally from Port Colbert, Ontario. Don could not be located to be given the good news. It was thought he was living in California, but interviews with relatives uh, indicated that they hadn't seen him for several years and they had no idea of his actual whereabouts. We also learned last week that the Pittsburgh Penguins are now becoming another National Hockey League trouble spot. They are in real financial difficulty, although the Penguins brass insists that it's not the team in trouble. It's just the 40% owner Donald Parsons. Regardless of whose money problems it actually is, it's placing the franchise in jeopardy and it is for sale. Uh, we tried to give you some idea of what the future of the troubled franchise might be last week. This week, as we move into September, here's a story that we have in store for you. Uh, there was a report circulating that two National Hockey League stars have found to have ties to organized crime, and we'll look into that. Uh, we learned that a popular uh, Toronto Maple Leaf veteran would be traded. We'll tell you who he is and where he's going and what the Leafs got in return. And Ted Green, the Boston Bruins defenseman who missed all of last season with a fractured skull, got the verdict in his assault trial in Ottawa. There's a ton of other hockey news this week, so let's get to it right now. And we'll start off with the news and notes. Here's a little piece from the Western Hockey League, and it seems like we've got a little bit of news from out on the left coast this week. The leading scorer for the past two seasons in the WHL has been a fellow named Art Jones, who played for, plays for the Portland Buckaroos. Art is apparently very unhappy with the contract that's been offered him by the Buckaroos for this season, and he's asked the team to trade him. Uh, Wouldn't you think that one of these two uh, very offensively challenged National Hockey League expansion teams could use a fellow with the offensive talent like Art Jones? I wonder if one of those two might make an offer for this veteran player who still has an amazing touch around the net. (laughs) Czechoslovakian hockey star Jaroslav Yurik has informed the St. Louis Blues that he will not be returning to the organization this season. Uh, Jaroslav Jurek has opted to remain in his native country to play for a uh, city in his hometown ZKL Brno. Jurek played three games for the Blues last season didn't register a point and he spent most of the year with the Kansas City Blues of the Central Hockey League where he scored 19 goals and added 16 assists for 35 points in 53 games. Two very highly touted first round picks in last June's amateur draft have signed their contracts with the Montreal Canadiens. Goalie Ray Martiniuk and forward Chuck Lefley inked packs with the Habs this week and their terms were not disclosed. Both of these young players are described as forming a large part of the future for the Montreal Canadiens. They're both natives of the province of Manitoba, and they were represented in the negotiations by Boston lawyer Bob Wolfe. Now, if you've heard of Bob Wolfe's name around before, he is also the mouthpiece, sorry, the agent for Derek Sanderson. The contract was finally agreed to after a marathon 8-hour bargaining session in Montreal between Wolf and general manager Sam Pollock, who was not shy in letting people know he does not enjoy as most GMs in the NHL do. He does not enjoy negotiating with a a player's lawyer but they got it hammered out and the two young guys are under contract and now we'll see if they can as first round picks make the team right in the training camp in other canadians news this week it was learned that the habs will this season be employing An assistant coach to take some of the pressure off head coach Claude Ruel. Now you know Claude had some problems with veteran players last year, Henry Richard being among the most prominent. Uh, Two names have surfaced, actually three names now as uh, we went on later in the week. Three names would surface to uh, be uh, mentioned as people who might take the assistant coaching job. Uh, Two of them our recent Habs players, in fact, one Jean Beliveau, is the present captain of the team, and if he were to take this job on, he would perform perform these duties in addition to his regular playing role. Right-winger Claude Provo, who it looks like is going to either retire or find himself with another team, is another candidate. And yet a third one is a fellow they call the professor, Ron Caron, who's held numerous jobs in the Montreal organization over the past few years, from coaching to organizing the Canadian scouting. And he might just end up standing on the bench with Claude Ruel. we have to see who gets this one. Nice little note out of Calgary this week: the Calgary hockey fans are going to have the opportunity to take in six National Hockey League games this season in a package deal that's going to cost them the what some people feel is exorbitant price of 64 dollars and50 cents a game. But that 64.50 will include the game ticket the flight from Calgary to Vancouver and some other amenities during each excursion and it's said that interest is very high in Calgary to sign up for this particular uh, event. In Toronto it looks like second year general manager Jim Gregory is going to have a hard time signing a few players this year and one of the more prominent ones is center Mike Walton. Walton, of course, as you know, is uh, represented by Toronto lawyer R. Allen Eagleson. That's the guy who's Bobby Orr's uh, lawyer as well. Mike Walton says all he really wants out of hockey is to be properly appreciated and that appreciation could be shown by way of a $50,000 a year contract provided to him by the Maple Leafs. Here's what Allen Eagleson had to say. I think Mike's at the stage that he's happy to play in Toronto if the team can afford to pay him in a matter commensurate with what he feels he's worth. Now, Walton really doesn't have much leverage other than make the tired old play-me-or-trade-me demand and then sit out until the team trades him or they don't. But what kind of leverage would that leave the Toronto organization to accommodate Walton's desires and trade him to another team when they know he's got him over the barrel and he's not going to play unless they deal him and then of course what team is going to want a headache that is represented by Mike Walton Jim Gregory's going to have to be some kind of a wizard to pull off any trade that would bring a worthwhile player to Toronto in exchange for Mike Walton a bigger problem for Gregory and the Maple Leafs might be the contract demands of Captain Davy Keon, the word is is that Keon, who represents himself and is certainly Toronto's best and most valuable player, is asking for a whopping hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a year to play for Toronto Maple Leafs this season. You know Stafford Smythe isn't going to want to give Keon that kind of money, no matter how important he is to the hockey club. Most people feel Keon will settle for something like the $80,000 that the Leafs gave Tim Horton last year. But you know what happened to Tim Horton when his $80,000 a year contract. He now still wears a blue sweater, but that sweater he wears now belongs to the New York Rangers. I can't see the Leafs ever trading Dave Keon, and he just wouldn't look right in anything other than a Toronto Maple Leaf uniform. The Oakland Seals, under new owner Charles O. Finley, continue to conduct their hockey business as they normally would uh, with general manager Frank Selke Jr. trying to get players signed in this week he brought a couple of them under contract. They are defensemen Burt Marshall and Wayne Malloyne. Marshall is a mainstay on the Oakland defense. Malloyne is more of a uh, fifth defenseman role player but he can also play up front and he has quite a bit of versatility. Terms of their deals were not announced but there was a little bit of troubling, troubling note with the announcement of these two signings and it's that uh, the Seals feel, Selkie himself mentioned this, that as many as five veteran players may have to go through the new NHL arbitration process as they are just too far apart with their demands and what the team is willing to offer. The five players, all veterans, who are critical to any success that the Oakland Seals might have this season are defensemen Carol Vadney and Harry Howell, Goalie Gary Smith and forwards Billy Hickey and Earl Ingerfield. Seals general manager Frank Selke says the team has made what they feel are very fair offers to all the players in question but the initial reactions from the five veterans indicate that no amount of negotiation is going to solve their considerable differences. Selke says the team is awaiting a decision from the league on exactly how the arbitration process will be carried out this season, at which time both sides are going to file to have the arbitration take place. Story out of Western Canada this week says that the WHA and CAHA met this week to discuss terms of what they said was mutual interest. The WHA, though, is not what in 2020 we come to remember as the World Hockey Association. Whether it's called the Western Hockey Association, a group that represents the interests of senior hockey teams in Western Canada. The group submitted a list of 25 proposals to the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association designed, they say, to return senior hockey to its former esteemed position in the realm of Canadian hockey. And we'll have to see how this goes out. The senior hockey uh, teams and leagues in uh, Alberta, B.C., Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg are all worried that... uh, senior hockey seems to be on the decline and they want to save what has become to them a very uh, mainstay and traditional part of Canadian hockey. It's amateur hockey but in Canada it's actually amateur hockey at its finest. If you've been with us for a while you'll remember a story from last fall's training camp, the 1969 training camps, where Kenny Warm, the fine right winger of the Chicago Blackhawks, had to give up playing because of a heart problem that was diagnosed in a routine checkup at the Blackhawks uh, training camp. Last week, Ken had told Ted Damata of the Chicago Tribune that he was getting himself in shape by playing a lot of golf and he hoped to make a National Hockey League comeback after attending the Blackhawks training camp in Chicago in a few weeks. Well this week sadly Ken didn't get the good news from his doctors that he had been hoping for and he notified the Blackhawks that he was officially retiring from the NHL. Ken was one of the NHL's good guys and we wish him a long happy and healthy retirement. Some more signing news, this from the Los Angeles Kings, where general manager Larry Regan has gotten under contract young defenseman Dale Hoganson and veteran goalkeeper Jack Norris. Uh, Regan is particularly happy to get Hoganson into the fold as a rookie last year Dale basically came from out of nowhere to rapidly develop into one of the Kings on mainstays main cogs in their blue line machine Hoganson is, is expected to progress even more and Regan feels that this kid will challenge for a spot on the NHL all-star team in the not too distant future Norris, as you may remember, was traded from the Boston Bruins to the Chicago Blackhawks back in 1967 in that huge trade that basically remade the Boston Bruins, sending Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Fred Stanfield to Boston, and the Bruins haven't looked back since then. Norris, uh, was subsequently sent to the LA Kings and he hopes that he can make the team out of training camp this year to back up uh, mainstay goalie Denny DeJordy. and another uh, note and sort of involving the Chicago Blackhawks uh, actually involving them quite specifically this time is Pitt Martin has made the news again for statements that he's making. Now, you will remember last fall, Martin was credited with lighting a fire under his Blackhawks teammates when he made statements about complacency and preferential treatment of some of the Chicago stars. Well, on the eve of training camp, he's made another statement, uh, but this time around, it's not teammates who he's targeting. Rather, his comments are directed toward team management's who are paying exorbitant contracts to untried rookies? Pitt says, and he's not wrong in this, that uh, first-year players coming fresh out of junior, such as Dale Talon and Gilbert Perot, are making huge amounts of money, far more than tried and true professional players who've been around for years. Uh, their first contracts they're getting more more than Pitt's making, and he's been a very good player for quite a few seasons. Uh, Pitt says that if these unproven rookies are getting sums like $50,000 a year, which is what Talon is said to be receiving from Vancouver, then players like himself, who have long and loyally performed in the league, should be receiving a similar salary. Now, Pitt Martin is not alone in his statements here, and you can be sure that many other National Hockey League stars are just a little more shy about speaking their minds Pitt is not shy it worked for him last year with his team the Blackhawks but a lot of these guys who aren't speaking up feel the same way about the issue and you might see some people holding out simply because they know that the money's there to pay these rookies it should be there to pay them as well a bit of media news from Chicago. WGN TV has found a replacement for Lloyd Pettit who did the play-by-play on Blackhawks broadcasts for many years and announced his retirement from the position this summer. His replacement on the TV broadcast is a fellow by the name of Jim West and for the past six years Jim has been the sports director of WBAL TV in Baltimore Maryland. Jim has done his share of hockey broadcasting in the past but this is his first gig at the NHL level and we'll be looking forward to hearing the Chicago broadcast with Jim West on the play-by-play. Most of the summer we've been talking to you about the uh Arguments, the disagreements between the National Hockey League and the Western Hockey League over the issue of indemnification to the WHL for the NHL invading their territory in Vancouver, placing an expansion team in Vancouver, therefore causing the Western Hockey League Vancouver Canucks to cease operations. Well, this week, very quietly, the two sides plus the Vancouver Canucks of the NHL themselves Finally, came to an agreement over what that indemnification would look like. While no formal announcement uh, was made, it was said by some of the Western Hockey League governors that the league would receive $800,000 in total from the Canucks and the NHL, and that money would be divided among the the Western Hockey League teams that have remained in operation. And speaking of the Western Hockey League, there was more talk about the establishment of Western Hockey League franchises in the Alberta cities of Edmonton and Calgary as a result of this agreement. However, there is nowhere in the agreement, as there was in the American Hockey League agreement with the NHL over the Buffalo franchise, that would say that uh, franchises would be established and they would be farm clubs of the NHL. However, Vancouver Canucks general manager Bud Poyle insists that it's still a strong possibility, even a likelihood, that Edmonton and Calgary will get professional Hockey League franchises in the Western Hockey League. Well, Wayne Overland, he is a... uh, Hockey sports columnist with the Edmonton Journal. Wayne's very plugged into the hockey world as well. At least he thinks he is. He does have a lot of scoops from time to time. And I give him credit for that. Well, he reported that the Canucks would place a franchise in Calgary as a farm team for the uh, NHL club. And that the Philadelphia Flyers general manager, Keith Allen, is said to be considering and is in fact according to Overland anxious to move the American Hockey League Quebec Aces to Edmonton in Alberta to be a companion franchise to the Calgary one. Overland also reported that on a visit to Edmonton just a couple of weeks ago to look over plans of the proposed Edmonton Omniplex Arena Entertainment Complex, Buffalo Sabres General Manager Punchimlack apparently loved the plans and what the complex looks like, at least in blueprints. According to Overland, Imlac apparently predicted that a National Hockey League franchise would come to Edmonton within three years of completion of the Omniplex project. Boy, those are heady predictions from Punch Imlac, but Punch is involved in an expansion uh, team right now. He knows what it takes to get a team up and off the ground, and he obviously thinks that the Edmonton project has the goods. Here's another Western Canada professional hockey rumor. It's sort of been uh, sort of bubbling below the surface. There have been rumblings of it, but not really uh, anybody saying anything until uh, Wayne Overland put this out there right now. He says that the National Hockey League is considering moving the entire Central Hockey League from the United States to the prairies and that could happen as soon as the 1971-72 season. He said cities such as Winnipeg, Regina, Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary, Brandon, Red Deer, Lethbridge are all candidates to have the Central Hockey League franchises in their in their cities. It's well known that money problems have plagued the Central Hockey League teams in uh, American cities. Places like Amarillo and Fort Worth, Texas just don't have the fan bases or the interest that Canadian cities of similar sizes might have. So it might make a lot of sense to move those Central League teams to Canada but would Canadians take to minor pro hockey or do they just want to see the best there is they'll flock to junior games because they know these kids will be in the NHL one day but will they uh, attend games where the players pro- most of them probably don't have a shot at making the big league we'll have to see about that one In yet more Western Hockey League news, former National Hockey League defenseman Ott Erickson has been named as the new coach of the Western Hockey League Phoenix Roadrunners. Ott won't be a playing coach, as some had suggested. He has now officially retired from hockey to take on the job. He's 32 years old, and he will be the Western Hockey League's youngest bench boss. Another Western Hockey League team up till now, still without a coach, uh, is said to be close to selecting a man to take the job very, very soon. The Salt Lake Golden Eagles, the new uh, farm team of the Buffalo Sabres, are said to have narrowed down the field of candidates to just a handful of men. Uh, only two names have so far surfaced as being on the short list. They are uh, At former NHL left winger Ronnie Murphy, who retired from the Boston Bruins last season because of chronic shoulder problems, and another former NHLer, goalie Al Rollins. Al has been the general manager coach of the Spokane Jets for the past two seasons. One of the more legendary franchises in the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series has a new coach for the upcoming season. Brian Shaw had been the... uh Blackhawks coach for the past couple of years. He resigned the position last week and the team wasted no time in replacing him with a fellow by the name of Frank Milne. Now Milne is well known in junior A circles in the city of Toronto as he has been the coach of the highly successful junior B Dixie Beehives of the Metropolitan Toronto Junior B Hockey League the past three years. I'll say this for uh, Buffalo Sabres general manager coach, Punch Imlach. He's got nerve and he's got gall. This week, Imlach had several Buffalo Sabres players working out at the Tam O'Shanters Heather Arena in Toronto, right under the noses of his former employers, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Imlach was there keeping an eye on the players and of course providing worthwhile quotes to anybody who'd listen and punch let it slip to a few uh, well-known reporters that he would have his players there the players were seen wearing the new uniforms that the Sabres will sport during their first NHL season and the most conspicuous of the group was first overall draft pick Gilbert Perrault who was wearing sweater number 11 Perot was easily the player who stood out most in the workout. Obviously, the most uh, talented of the group. Uh, The workout seemed to be more of a photo op publicity event for Imlac rather than uh, something was actually trying to accomplish hockey-wise. Of course, everyone wanted to know about Perot wearing number 11 and questions were asked to both the young player and to Imlac. Imlac confirmed, as did Gill, that the number 11 will be the sweater number assigned to the young superstar in his first NHL year. Imlac said he had not yet talked contract with Perot, but that he expects no difficulty in signing the rookie when they get together at the Sabres training camp in Peterborough next month. Perot, in the contract talks, does have an agent, but it's not Alan Eagleson. Joe's brother-in-law will act as his agent in discussions with Imlac and we'll have to see what the results of those talks are going to look like. A National Hockey League Players Golf Tournament was held this week in Manchester, Vermont and it was won by probably the best golfing hockey player in the world, Flyers right winger Gary Dornhofer. Despite uh, still in the recovery phases of a knee operation that he had during the offseason. Dornhofer won the tournament after a two-hole playoff against teammate Jean-Guy Gendron and Pittsburgh Penguins young center Gary Swain. Swain, by the way, is another uh, resident of the Niagara region. He's in uh, my present location. He comes from Welland, Ontario. Here's a bombshell story that Struck the Detroit Red Wings this week, shaking the team to its very foundations. But really, when you consider who's involved, you'd have to understand that this event, this happening, was always a possibility. Red Wings defenseman Carl Brewer, a National Hockey League All Star last season, in his first in a comeback after having several years off, having walked out on the Toronto Maple Leafs four years earlier. He announced to the Red Wings he was once again retiring from professional hockey and he would not be reporting to the Red Wings training camp. Carl says he is now going to be full-time engaged in private business devoting all of his time and attention to his new position which is as an executive and Canadian distributor of the Coho line of hockey sticks and complete line of hockey equipment. Coho is a company out of Finland that is trying to make inroads into the North American market. Brewer, as you know, spent some time in Finland as a player coach got to know the people who run the Coho uh, organization, and they approached him to try and bring their company to Canada. Carl is enthusiastic, and you can expect to see Coho sticks and hockey equipment in stores around Canada in the very near future. Brewer's retirement, by the way, adds credence to the report that new Red Wing coach Ned Harkness wants to shift great Gordie Howe Two back to defense from right wing in the Wings training camp. And now there are reports this week that Gordy is said to be completely on board with that idea. Right on the heels of last week's announcement that two players who had been suspended for life for gambling on NHL games had been reinstated, some more troubling news came out for the NHL that they're going to have to look into. It was revealed this week that two National Hockey League stars have been associating with known organized crime operatives, specifically members of the Mafia. National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell said that the two players had unwittingly become involved with organizations that are backed by underworld money. Campbell wouldn't name the players in question, but he said that one player played for a team in Canada And one in the United States. Campbell released this statement. Uh, He said within the last year in the United States. One player had agreed to make television commercials. On behalf of the company with Mafia Connections. And in Canada. One player had acquired a franchise from an organization. Which is completely Mafia controlled. Campbell went on to say that according to their statements. Neither player was aware of the organized crime connections until the league had informed them of that fact. Act surprised. Show concern. Deny. 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 Campbell also said that the league will be setting up a formal security bureau to provide background information on uh, companies that players wish to be associated with and that they can have this uh, information available to their them and their representatives at all times. The office of that bureau, which will likely employ former law enforcement officers, will be located in New York City. Although it didn't garner huge headlines around the rest of the National Hockey League, this was big news in Toronto this week when uh, a veteran Toronto Maple Leaf player learned that he would be playing hockey in a completely new and very unfamiliar surroundings this season, if he plays at all. Bob Pulford, age 34, and a Toronto Maple Leaf since 1956, was traded to the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for two 23-year-old forwards. Coming to the Maple Leafs in exchange for Pulford are our left-wingers Gary Monahan and Brian Murphy. There was of course immediate speculation that Pulford would simply retire and refuse to report to his new employers, but Bob himself put an end to those rumors Although he didn't do it very enthusiastically. Pulford said uh, they, Cook and Regan, should be able to tell their story to me. Out of decency, I have to hear it. I don't know what I'm going to do right now, but I'll go to Los Angeles and I'll listen to them. Pulford said he quite honestly was thinking of not going to camp with the Maple Leafs this fall. He said, I think I would have gone, but I've also been thinking of doing something completely outside of hockey. The reason that Bob Pulford was uh, dealt by Toronto Maple Leafs' Jim Gregory is probably because he was seeking a huge raise over last year's contract. We say likely because Gregory wasn't even in Toronto when the deal was announced and he was unavailable for comment. Uh, The Leafs made the announcement by way... Of a press release. Uh, Gregory made the usual statements. They were sorry to see Bob go. They thanked him for his loyal service for the 14 or so years he'd been with Toronto. But of course, the team has to get younger and it has to get better. In his final year in Toronto, Bob Pulford scored 18 goals, had 19 assists for 37 points. That 18 goal total was actually 11 more than he had the year before. And at times last year, Bob looked like he was uh, rejuvenated and would maybe have another good year this season. Well, now, if Bob's going to have a good year, it's going to have to be in Los Angeles. As we mentioned earlier, Monaghan and Murphy are both youngsters at 23 years. Monaghan is the more well-known of the pair, and in his brief professional career, he's already well-traveled. He's uh, from Barrie, Ontario, played his Junior A hockey in Ontario with the Peterborough Peets, which uh, made him a Montreal property uh, youngster. He began his career with the Canadians with 11 games in 1967-68. Uh, in June of 1969, Monaghan was traded to the Detroit Red Wings in the transaction that sent Peter Mahavlich to the Habs. He ended up in Los Angeles just before the 1970 trade deadline in a six-player deal that saw he, Matt Ravlich, and Brian Gibbons go to the Kings for Dale Rolfe, Gary Crotto, and Larry Johnson. Over 72 games last year, Monahad had the lowly totals of only three goals, seven assists for 10 points, and for him it was a hugely disappointing season. Larry Regan of the Kings. Said that he wanted leadership and that's why he got somebody who was once highly regarded as Monaghan for Pulford. Brian Murphy, a Toronto native, was regarded as more of a throw-in in the deal. Uh, he played his junior A mainly with the London Knights, also saw time with the Marlboros as he was originally Toronto property. He was traded to the Kings in October of 1968 by the Maple Leafs with the aforementioned Gary Crotto and a goalie that the Leafs owned by the name of Wayne Thomas, who was playing college hockey, I believe in Wisconsin. The Leafs in return in that deal got fellows by the name of Grant Moore and Lou DeVoe, neither of whom ever played for the Maple Leafs. Murphy last year was with Springfield of the American Hockey League and he had eight goals, 23 assists for 31 points. The Maple Leafs now have only one remaining player from their 1962 Stanley Cup champions. The 62 Cup was the first of three in a row the team would win and four in the decade of the 60s. That one player remaining with the Leafs, Captain Dave Keon, and it's no sure thing he's going to be around this year Given the contract demands he's making, uh, the Leafs seem to be content to trade veterans who want too much money for young kids who are unproven. And of course, that could guarantee the Leafs are going to be at the bottom of the NHL for a while. But hey, at least they're going to get high draft picks, won't they? Here's a story we've been talking about for about a year and I hope with this announcement we finally get to put it to rest. Ted Green, the Boston Bruins defenseman, finally got the news he'd been waiting for this week. Ottawa Judge M.J. Fitzpatrick announced that Green had been found not guilty of common assault charges that had been laid against him nearly a year ago as a result of that on-ice incident during the National Hockey League exhibition game between the Blues and the St. Louis Blues in Canada's capital city. In his decision, which he delivered from the bench, Judge Fitzpatrick said that hockey's blinding speed and the instinctive actions of its players made it most difficult to prove the charge of common assault against Green. He also said that hockey players, by simply taking part and playing in the game, consent to a number of attacks on the ice that elsewhere would be considered assaults, and thereby they would be open to criminal charges anywhere but during a hockey game. You will remember that uh, about a year ago during the National Hockey League uh, preseason games these charges arose when green and blues forward wayne Mackey engaged in a vicious stick swinging duel that resulted in green sustaining a fractured skull that took place september 21st last year green very nearly did not did uh, not survive the attack and spent several weeks in an ottawa hospital The judge said that Green was merely defending himself when he swung his stick at Mackey. Green had originally been charged by the Ottawa police with assault with a weapon. In an earlier trial in Ottawa, Mackey, who was also charged by the Ottawa police with assault causing bodily harm, uh, the judge in that case, Judge Edward Carter, declared that Mackey was also acting in self defense of an attack from Green, and therefore he was acquitted of his charges as well. Judge Fitzpatrick also commented that neither Green nor Mackey would have been the subject of criminal charges had no serious injuries been suffered by either party. He also remarked that it is incomprehensible that most National Hockey League players. Do not wear protective helmets, implying that if Green had been wearing a helmet, his injuries and the criminal charges against both players might never have been laid. And in fact, the whole situation would have been averted just for wearing a helmet. Ted Green uh, has said that he will, out of necessity and the incensus of his doctors, begin wearing a helmet in games this season should his comeback to the National Hockey League be successful. When he was informed of the news uh, of the verdict of the trial, his only comment was, I'm only glad it's over at last. I know when I heard this, uh, first thing... (laughs) I don't know why the first thing I thought of was well I wonder what the NHL thinks of all this their player finally being found not guilty two guys went at it with sticks one got a fractured skull nobody's guilty of anything well here are the words from National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell what was especially gratifying was the comment of the judge who in effect said that the condition under which professional hockey is played does not lend itself to criminal proceedings. Campbell said that this was very important because it meant that the NHL isn't going to be hauled into court every time the game produces an act of violence or injury. Well we'll just have to wait and see if society agrees with you Clarence because that's who's going to determine what happens in a lot of these vicious incidents. And there you have it, folks. That's our show for this week as we finally got into September. Uh, what did we learn in this first show as uh training camp month has arrived? Well, we learned that two unnamed NHL players were found to have ties to organized crime, specifically the Mafia. But the NHL ain't going to tell us who they are. The longest serving and one of the most loyal Toronto Maple Leafs was traded this week, Uh Bob Pulford found out he's going to be playing in Los Angeles, if he plays at all, when he was traded to the Kings, and he's going to join former teammate Dick Duff and another former teammate, Larry Regan, who's the general manager on the West Coast Hockey Club. And we learned that Boston Bruins defenseman Ted Green has been found not guilty in his assault trial in Ottawa, Ontario nearly a year after he f- suffered a fractured skull. And Ted now wants to get on with his life and hopefully get back to playing in the NHL. So we'll be back next week with brand new stories as September's training camps begin to roll around. And here are some of the things we're looking at for next time. Most National Hockey League training camps will get underway at various locations around North America next week. We'll have all the news and details from each camp and let me tell you there was a lot going on in the opening of training camps next week. I hope we can fit it all into one podcast. We may have to do one of our bonus episodes. Uh, We'll learn about a budding young National Hockey League superstar joining the ranks of hockey players who were injured on the water during the offseason. And we'll have an up-close look at the Maple Leafs' new goalie, the ancient yet still effective Jacques Plante. What a great guy Jacques Plante was. And, of course, we'll have much, much more. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole, and we cannot thank him enough for all his hard work on this project. The very popular Toronto uh, indie rock group, The Rural Albert Advantage, a Juno-nominated group, provides our introduction and exit music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform live, please take advantage of it. They put on a great show. Other musical pieces and sound effects in the show are provided by Andy Cole as well. Our research, of course, comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and, of course, the many fine publications found at our sponsor, newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey 50 Years every day during the season and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago on Hockey. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com and the podcast is now found on YouTube as well. Thank you everyone for tuning into our show each week. We really truly enjoy bringing this to you and it should be a great season coming up. When the ice